Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret, and today I'm talking to the three authors of Raising a Kid Who Can, Simple Strategies to Build a Lifetime of Adaptability and Emotional Strength. My guests, Dr. Catherine McCarthy, Heather Tedesco, PhD, and Jennifer Weaver, LCSW, are all mental health experts, and their work provides parents with the tools they need to navigate a complex world world and help their kids move from anxious to adaptable. Welcome all to What Fresh Hell. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you very much. We're glad to be here. Lots of expertise, big promises too. So let's get going. (laughs) We got a lot to get to. Let's start with this idea of adaptability. It's a word we all know basically what it means. But in brief, I don't want you to try to summarize the whole book. Talk to me about why adaptability became the key focus of this book. We wrote the book starting during the pandemic because of the crisis in mental health that we've been seeing in kids. We've been working with kids for and families and parents for 20 years and or more, and uh, all of us just in different ways. And one of the things we've been seeing even before the pandemic is that these awesome kids that we know who are so talented and wonderful also feel kind of brittle or fragile. They could get easily overwhelmed. They can get rigid and a little stuck. And we really can see that 21st century skills are going to really demand a ton of adaptability and flexibility. Our world is changing so fast. It's breakneck speed at this point. And we're worried about the kids. And we want them to be able to take their temperaments and their talents and their differences and be able to be really flexible, be able to roll with the punches, be able to feel tough feelings, but still function okay and not be too derailed. And so that was really the driving force uh, for us of our goal for this book is to help parents help kids develop this ability to kind of roll. And you talk in the book and you say that many scientists believe we are in the most rapid period of change in all of human history. Let's take both sides of that. That's obviously good in some ways. So how, in what ways is that good for our kids? We are just, even though we've been parenting and I was listening to like, podcast, but uh, about recently it had some of them was talking about control coming from anxiety and Dr. Edlin and with parenting through this lens of fear, because things going so fast, pinging, ping all this information, tough things happening like pandemic, bad things that could happen to kids. There's 
in this era of information overload, which is, you know, giving us so much information, which teaches us so much and so much opportunity. It's at the same time, there's so much fear and uh, circuits in our heads over and over through a lens of anxiety. And even though before a pandemic, a lot of our lectures, and we used to lecture together, and we still well, obviously do now because we're tied for a while, and is we talk about the age of anxiety and that this is the age of anxiety and how to be able to help parent kids in this age of anxiety when parents are understandably anxious and we're wired to be anxious. But we're also wired to be adaptable. And that's where if you look at the how fast the information's happening, it's part of humans adapting and taking advantage of everything science has to offer, computer beyond, I'm not a satellite computer techie person. It's amazing I got on this. So there's all this good, all this great information, education, being able to get through a pandemic, yin and yang that way. And with it, looking at our lens of not just okay, this is how do we help people with anxiety, but how do we people not be, have people afraid of anxiety, including parents, and take advantage of evolution's you know greatest gift, which is to adapt. We're highly adaptable. Look, I mean, three years ago, when we thought we got through the pandemic, like we got through it, you know, as parents, we, a lot of us might have thought we wouldn't have got through it. So with the intense information, giving us so much information, and at the same time can give us misinformation or anxiety-provoking information, we're adaptable and we see it in this fast paced world. Right. So you get to both sides of the equation. The good, lots of access to information. Great. The bad, oh no, too much information. Now we have a huge host of new things to worry about. Go ahead, Jennifer. And there's something else that we've found really could be a useful experience from some of the difficulty that's been happening, which is that our kids actually are already adaptable to uncertainty in a way that our generation never was. And so that's half the equation in a lot of ways in terms of being able to manage and roll, because so often what we're really trying to do is ring down the risk to zero, be certain about everything. That's what makes our brains really soothed. But our kids were used to question, you know, they would ask us, well, are we going to school? And we would have to answer, I don't know. Should we wipe our groceries? I don't know. Yesterday we were supposed to, today we're not. You know, so it was a good practice for us for our kids. And we're really hoping that actually this can be something that they can turn around and kind of be the next greatest generation because they've been bathed in uncertainty in a way that our generations haven't. And so we want to take advantage of that and then help really get that other piece, which is frankly, a lot of the avoidance that's happening. That's still, I think, a lot in place. One of the things I really responded to in the book, and I will say the book has a lovely structure. It's extremely approachable. It has a kind of childlike feel, which, you know, when I read your bios, I wouldn't necessarily expect from the three of you. I was like, okay, I got to settle down with my highlighter. This is going to be dense. (laughs) It's very, very approachable, like cartoons and visuals. I flagged a couple of them to show to my kids, like the tunnel versus the cave. There's a lot of really good metaphors. I think that it's like, oh, I get it now versus like it's not a tome, which I mean as a compliment. What made you structure, Heather, the book in this sort of very approachable way, despite the fact that you're bringing in a lot of kind of heavy science? Yes, the structure was super important to us. We know there are so many wonderful parenting books out there. We have shelves with hundreds of them ourselves. And we certainly didn't think that there was necessarily a need for us to create another, you know, kind of big chapter book. But what we did think there was a need for was kind of a brand new type of parenting book. We actually considered a Rick Steves travel guide as a little bit of our muse where we wanted to make it 
flexible enough that parents could, you know, if they want to really learn and, and are really interested in, you know, kind of what are the things that science tells us are most important for our kids' well-being and to help them thrive, they could kind of go through our 10 essentials. But if they're just having a problem in their family and they would like a few ideas for what to do about that, we wanted to make it very easy for them just to open up the book and pop in and, uh, you know, find something that they could use that day. And so we work, you know, I work only with parents. And so, you know, we all have a lot of contact with parents and realize that not everybody wants or needs the exact same thing. And so we wanted to offer people, you know, kind of multiple ways that they could use this book and that they can use it over multiple years and multiple kids. We really tried to keep it, you know, kind of open, open to how people want it. This takes me very nicely into my next question that I have three kids. I have kids who are neurotypical and kids who are non-neurotypical. And I'm always looking when I read books to say, okay, is this addressing all of my kids? Because sometimes I'm like, yeah, that's great for my neurotypical kids, for my non-neurotypical kids, not so much. And how do you address that question as you approach a parenting book, especially as I looked at the chapter list and I realized that kids with ADHD, autism, adverse childhood experiences, all sorts of different points of origin, most of the things that you're talking about in this book, I would put in the category of tougher skills for kids who deal with some of those points of origin. So how did you think about that when you started writing the book? I was with even the fact that the second essential is attention and self-control. That's right. Like, ah, we're not great at that, as it turns out. No. And, and since, as a child psychiatrist, my life is, you know, ADHD, autism, you know, it does. And so highlighting, although in an effort to keep it ridiculously simple because of what Heather was saying so articulately, that, you know, through boxes that we have to, to be able to highlight that this is, you know, going to be tougher for kids who are parents of kids with ADHD and really trying to infuse through the book through parents to be wary of feeling like, oh, I'm not doing a good enough job because I can't do this. You know, there's so much, I think, without and be intentional shame and in, in the perception a lot of people feel when they read parenting books, especially if you have a child with developmental disabilities. And since the shoe does not fit for any kid, but especially when you have frontal lobe, you know, that and a bigger word, but just a, attention difficulties, trying to highlight that in the shout out boxes about attention, about what is too much, you know, when it comes to disorder versus distress and recognizing it is all a spectrum, whether it's attention, whether it's autism with anxiety, there are some things in psychiatry, you have it or you don't, but that really this is a spectrum. You try, we have try this so that you aren't feeling like, oh, do this, you know, try this. Like if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You know, it could be because we could give you like something really doesn't work for you. There's something on the next page, right? Yeah. It's like, don't be, and to really to put the humanity in it that everybody's doing their best. And if you have a kid with disabilities, you're really doing your best because you have it harder, especially if it's invisible and they look on the outside like you would never know. And so you're quietly suffering. So taking away the shame, trying to at least shout out and recognize that there's these diagnoses that, you know, the attention stuff is difficult that way. And, you know, it can sound good, but there's just no way for summer motivation and that you're doing the best as a parent. And, you know, that's all you can do. I want to lean in on one more aspect of that when we come back. I am talking to the authors of Raising a Child Who Can, Simple Strategies to Build a Lifetime of Adaptability and Emotional Strength, and we will be right back. 
Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby's skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. One of the things that you talk about in the book, which I think is interesting, we have a lot of people who've talked about, I will say, you know, lots of different aspects that you touch on here. And I would say one of the chapters about resilience, and I was always pushing back a little bit on resilience because it seemed like the top of the mountain to people for a long time, like resilience was the most important thing. And I know people personally and have read books by people and know that people who had very, very difficult childhoods have extremely high resilience, but they're not necessarily they're struggling in a lot of areas so that when we put one thing at the very top and I like that you say these things are not linear and that maybe I have a kid for whom attention will always be a struggle but that doesn't mean like oh well sorry you failed the life test out you go and so talk a little bit about how these skills balance each other out and is the goal to be strongest in the ones that we can do and then not worry about the other ones to find balance what's the goal The goal is, of course, for us to play to our strengths in life. I think that's one of the challenges that we often forget for kids is that they are in this very unique situation during their, you know, K through 12 education where they are generalists. And that certainly doesn't fit every kid. But we adults have the benefit, hopefully, of being able to lean into our strengths. And so where the essentials are concerned. Let me just interrupt you to click down on that, because this is advice that someone gave me a long time ago. And I feel like the term generalist may not resonate with everybody. But somebody explained this to me about a kid who was struggling a lot with transitions, that a kid in school needs to go to art class, then it's like, no more art. Now it's math. Okay, wait, I'm good at math. No more math. Now it's English. And that that is actually just bears very little resemblance to how we live our lives as adults. Absolutely. 
And I found it very comforting. Like, oh, you're right. That's actually not. There's a lot of people who are not good at like, stop doing what you're doing. Come do this other thing because it's the bell went off. Gymnastics. Yeah. So many kids we see, including, you know, we have eight kids between us, all with a range of all sorts of stuff and life and all sorts of things. And also all the kids and families and parents we see so often our advice is just get out of school, (laughs) just crank it out, man, because it's absolutely true. Real life is nothing like this. And it's a bizarre test to somehow be weirdly good at everything. It's also super weird in terms of all the focus on college and like this is all leading to this crazy tunnel of, oh, the pinnacle of achievement, you got into a certain college or something where you have to have this sort of almost resume of experiences as opposed to just being a person under construction as we all are still today. Right. There's a big survey that came out and I can't cite the exact date of it, but pretty recently in Minnesota, like a huge number looking at what kids are still really stressed about, you know, and you think after the pandemic and with this, like, would we be focusing on things that matter, taking away maybe SATs more, but kids, no matter where it was, it went across all socioeconomic, you know, stratification, like really stressed from a young age about college. Like that's just like in their heads. Is it, and that is the that that's in the back of their minds when there's all these other things to be stressed about and that causing a, you know, just, just a ridiculous amount of anxiety and that that is the that bigger stress. It makes no sense. So the book talks about 10 essentials and I'm not going to try to get through all 10 of them because also, you know, <laughs> go buy the book, people. There's 10. You got to read it to get all 10. But I did want to highlight a couple of the chapters. And the first one is tolerating difficult feelings. We are tolerating many difficult feelings at my house because it is back to school. And we have gone from like wake up late, swim in the lake, play on our screens to wake up to the alarm, go to scary bad school. And it's not going great. And so, and I I will say I have kids who are tolerating it well and kids who are tolerating it, shall we say, poorly. And so what makes this such an essential skill, tolerating difficult feelings? One of the things that we found in working with kids and families and parents these days is that a lot of kids actually have some pretty good ability to identify their feelings more so than I think earlier generations. I think we've done a pretty good job with that. A lot of us, what they are struggling with is tolerating them because they seem to have this sense of, or we've accidentally sent the message of you have these feelings And if they're uncomfortable, they need to be fixed. There's something wrong with these uncomfortable feelings and they need, there needs to be a fix. So if Jane is sharing with Jeremy and then Jeremy steals the toy and Jane's upset, we have to fix that. But in fact, most feelings just need to be tolerated, need you just, and like you mentioned, the cave and the tunnel. So many kids actually avoid feelings because they are afraid they'll be stuck in them forever. And I think parents feel that way too. So parents are uncomfortable when kids are uncomfortable. So we want to shift our kids' feelings so we feel better too. And we want parents to also be able to sit with kids' uncomfortable feelings. That models for them that in fact... This is that thing we were talking about before about being able to roll. You know, you feel really scared about the test and you're going to go take it anyway. You feel really hurt about what somebody texted you in that text group and you're going to go to school. You can do both at the same time. You don't have to get it fixed before you move forward. Talk about the fab sentence. This really spoke to me. It really jumped out to me. I wrote it down. (laughs) That was one of your clients. 
Now you have to remind me what it is, even though one of my clients actually taught me this. <laughs> so this teenage girl came in and she said, I'm going to break a fab. And I was like, what is this magical thing? I feel about this because of this. And that's exactly right. She just, you name the feeling. And then I wish I could do that. I know it's a podcast you can't see, but I'm putting my fingers out. You name and describe the feeling so that you can look at it as separate from your being yourself. You are aware of it. You see it. You're awake to it. You're not fighting it, but it's not going to control you. It's not going to take over everything. Bust a fab. So it's, I have a feeling about something because of a reason, correct? My big feelings person in my house, I think it's helpful because I think sometimes people hear this, we have an expression on the podcast, tweet, tweet, which is what Amy's grandmother would say about something that's just, okay, tweet, tweet. Like let's, it's a little too cute. You know, she's a realist. Tweet, tweet is like, okay, there's 400 presents of the tree, but also tweet, tweet is let's let our children feel their emotions. I think she would tweet, tweet that a little bit because there is a balance between, I think, not suppressing emotions, not saying emotions are bad, not trying to fix everything. But also, sometimes I'm like, yeah, school stinks. I get it. But like, I cannot discuss this for seven hours straight. So where is the line between expressing and kind of overindulging these feelings? Jennifer's got it with a sandwich, right? Oh, yes, the sandwich. I have that written down next. Yeah, that's right. So we want to validate feelings because validating, naming and validating feelings immediately, calm feelings, as Tina Payne Bryson and Dan Siegel say, name it to tame it. You name the feeling, you're immediately not fighting it. But we want to add some confidence in there. We want to add some sort of a little bit of buck up juice in there. So for some kids, all they need is you name the feeling. And then we call it a supportive statement. That's from Ellie Leibowitz and all his amazing work with kids out of Yale. You name the feeling. That sounds really hard. And then you say, but I think you've got it. And then for some kids, they can start to feel stressed with the confidence. And so you can sandwich back in another thing. But I can see why you're so stressed. I'd say one thing that we do tell parents is that there is too much of a good thing. And so if we accidentally encourage our kids to just, you know, kind of sit and talk constantly about all of the difficulty of their feelings, that can perseverate sometimes those feelings. And so we have an illustration about a gratitude where we sort of show a flashlight that you can shine that flashlight on contentment or you could shine that flashlight on worries. There's an element to that with, you know, kind of the difficult feelings as well, where we want to for sure make room for our kids to have those feelings. We want to be an empathetic, supportive presence um, to those feelings, but we don't want to all get stuck in them accidentally. I love that image. I am talking to the authors of Raising a Kid Who Can, Simple Strategies to Build a Lifetime of Adaptability and Emotional Strength, and we'll be right back. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used hero bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty-calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero-gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while 
still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. I get cranky and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to saying optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate? Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H.com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks. Let's talk about the chapter called Accepting Anxiety, perhaps a chapter written for me, not my children. And I do like at the end of the book, you're like, oh, by the way, use these for yourself as well. It's not actually just for your kids. You say anxiety is a dance between the parent and child, but there are many ways where the parent can lead. I really liked that image. It's like you're leading a dance. You're not controlling a narrative. What's the difference I think so much of, you know, just again, comes back to control. And part of the reason, you know, because anxiety feels so unpleasant because it is a mini fight or flight response. We want it to go away. It's, it's just a really, you know, it's not, not just doesn't feel good to have all that adrenaline that has nowhere to go and run. And so with wanting to whether we leave it in ourselves or in our kids, 
you know, this either trying to fix it, avoid it swooping in. And so the dance of kids experiencing anxiety and parents, okay, we got to help make this go away, divert, or parents having anxiety and then wanting to make sure everything's okay, the back and forth. When it is the human condition and accepting it that we have to have anxiety, we have to, and it's super unpleasant, not have to be like, oh, give me more experiences for anxiety. I want to have a lot of those. We get plenty, get plenty all the time. And some of us have bigger amygdalas for real. Um, That's been found. We have bigger fight or flight response. We're born with them. So we're going to get like more unpleasant experiences, even though no one knows it's like each other's head. And so with that, recognizing we have it, it comes and it goes. And we can try to, it's where we put our attention, try to move our attention to other places. We can be present with it, but we don't have to be fixing it in either one. And we, the goal isn't to always get to a place where we have that control. If we could all wake up and always have control, that'd be great. We all want that. That's our drive, but it isn't going to happen. And it's so not realistic. My kids are just doing back to school. And one of the things they're talking about is school shooter drills. And one of my kids is really struggling with it. And she said, you know, they're teaching them like how not to open doors and all this different stuff. And it's super scary, tear inducing, and said to me, I said, well, listen, all I can tell you is that the chance of that happening is extremely small statistically. I know it seems like something, but, and she said, right, but they wouldn't teach it if the chance was zero. And I was like, all right, you got me, small child. You're not wrong. And I think there is a point where you have to actually say, I, we don't have this. And maybe the pandemic helped with that instinct for us, as you were saying, Jennifer, of like, we had to say, I don't know a lot. And I guess it's my question is, it's okay for our kids to see us not knowing the answers, correct? It is not just okay, it's actually necessary. That is how we help equip our kids to function well throughout their lifetime. And it goes directly into that parenting instinct, which is to help our kids to alleviate their suffering, to protect them, to love them. And it's, I think, very difficult sometimes to recognize the harm that our best intentions can inadvertently do. And I think that anxiety is the perfect example. I always tell parents that it's you get punished with anxiety for being a tuned, responsive parent because you're responding to the anxiety, which actually increases the anxiety. And so it's really helpful if we parents can recognize that this is a very difficult thing that we are being asked to do, which is to not assure our kids that there is no risk when the truth is that there is risk in the world. I'd like to turn to the chapter and the essential that is compassion and gratitude, because I feel like this is something that gets skipped a lot in the parenting discussion, because we're like, this is the hack, and this is how you're going to make them, and this is how it's they're going to get grit, they're going, oh, there's a box full of self-esteem, you're going to find it out in the woods and hand it to your kid, all these kind of like ideas that we have about like how to have great kids that we sometimes skip the chapter on how to have good, decent kids. And I really liked that this was included here. And so talk a little bit about the role of compassion and gratitude. Compassion and gratitude are, we sometimes say they're flip sides of the same coin. And they're both things that we parents can model. And by having these in ourselves and demonstrating them to our kids, we can actually help our kids develop these things. It's one of the best ones for us to live by example. 
We always say the bad news is you have to do it. The kids are going to turn out pretty close to who you are, unfortunately. I would love to tell you there's a secret book, but they're watching what you do. Yeah, exactly. But still, there are ways we can help them practice compassion. What does that look like, Jennifer? One of the things that we worry a little bit about is sort of the self-esteem movement and that obviously we want our children to have good self-esteem, but what does that actually mean? And in fact, when you look at the research, uh, there is a kind of self-esteem that actually can be unhelpful where it has a lot of competitive aspects to it. Am I better than the next person? Am I going to get the A on the test? Oh, good. I feel good about myself. And there's a fragility to that that. What we really are looking for is for kids to have compassion for themselves. Self-compassion leads to compassion for others, but self-compassion also allows you to function much better in the world than self-esteem because you can love yourself and feel good about yourself with a C on that test. You can love yourself when you make a mistake. When you're able to like and love yourself that way, you're able to learn from your mistakes more easily because you're calmer And you're able to shift to next time, but you're also so much more able to extend that compassion to other people because you recognize their humanity and their foibles and fragilities and mistakes as well. And so we really want to shift that lens away from self-esteem and are you achieving? Are you, what's your status? And more toward, we have a common humanity. Who are you? You are of value no matter what number comes up or diagnosis comes up. And so do other people. And I, another example, you talk about modeling compassion for yourself. I love the example of like, I'm actually going to take a bath. Why don't you guys get some stuff out of the fridge? I'm sure it's going to be a hot mess of a dinner, but like, I need a break and let's just do this for me sometimes. And we use the phrase a lot in our house. It's not your day. It's someone else's day today because there's five of us and it can't always be someone's day. But I think the ability to say like, sometimes it's actually my day. I'm not just the endless martyr who takes care of everyone else. Catherine, talk a little bit about what role that plays, both in in helping ourselves, but helping our kids develop that compassion. It's self-compassion. And then what Jennifer said about just highlighting the human piece that we're all human, including parents, and just sometimes too much, man, I got to take a bath. It's different from like the self-care, which almost becomes this whole self-care is kind of like that positivity movement just that just can be like indulgent, like, oh, me, 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 you know, just like the self-esteem being competitive. And so it's not the best word. It's more selfish rather than human. But by seeing, they take a cue from us. I mean, this is what they're going to take for when they are parents or if they're parents or when they're grownups is how to be able to say, I'm human. I've had enough. I'm tapped out, you know, and it doesn't mean, oh, it's your fault or you've caused this. This is like, I got to go, got to go take my bath. It's modeling how they'll deal with their stressors. Just like, I mean, you know, there's a big thing to just throw in here, but just like how when we lose parents ourselves, they're watching us to see, you know, how they will deal. And so it's seeing that we're human, that we deal with the losses, the tough stuff of every day, or just having a day where it's a great, beautiful day, but we're still exhausted and still need the bath. And we can't be something for everyone. We can't be at every little performance. We can't be at every little, you know, meeting or just be part of everything we try to. But the, we're, the human piece, really, the emphasizing of human piece is what we're, we're getting at and that we hope parents can appreciate about themselves. The book is Raising a Kid Who Can, Simple Strategies to Build a Lifetime of Adaptability and Emotional Strength. Tell us where our listeners can find this book. I will put a plug in for this book. It is extremely accessible. It is not dense. It is like very highlightable. I have lots of 
of, you know, if I hold up my copy, it's got like the flags and the highlights all in it. Very and great, I think, to show to your kids as well some of the examples of like, oh, this is drawn out in a really specific way. So with that said, where can people find more about the three of you and where can they find the book? It's 2023. We get it. We know how to find a book. But anyway, where can they find it? (laughs) You can find the book at all major retailers and you can find information about the book and us at the website uh, RaisingAKidWhoCan.com. Dr. Catherine McCarthy, Heather Tedesco, PhD, and Jennifer Weaver, LCSW. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Margaret. Thanks for having us. Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.